0: Just between us, hey. Just between us, hey. Hello, I'm Allison Raskin. I'm a writer, mental health advocate, and I changed my nail shape from round to almond.
1: Hey, I'm Gabe Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, wink, and I'm wearing my uncle's hat, of which I have so many.
0: Oh wow, he had a big hat collection.
1: Huge hat collection. And that's why I have about um, four different Red Sox hats. <laughs> <laughs> he is from baseball caps. He is from um, Boston. And so my uncle who passed away last year, we were very close and he he was um, from Boston. And so when he passed away, my sister and I went into my aunt brought us into the bedroom and was like, you guys should take some. He had, I mean, probably 50 Red Sox <laughs> Like different colors, different commemorations, like, and I wear them. Like I wear one of his hats probably like four times a week or something. This one, this one's from uh, the local golf club in our town. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a deep cut, (laughs) but yeah, there's like, I have so many Red Sox caps and then I always forget that I'm wearing it. And people will be like, have really strong opinions about the Red Sox. Really strong. Or they'll be like, oh, are you from Boston? And I'll be like, how the fuck did you know? No, but (laughs) <laughs> Why? And then I was like, I went to school there. Why? And they're like, your hat. And I'm like, my hat.
0: Yeah, my dad collects hats big time. I, he must have like hundreds of hats. Really? Like all Yankees? No, no. His thing is he gets them from where he ever where he goes. So if like we're in a new city or at a new place or like we're at like a tennis tournament, his way of like remembering all the places he's been. He's like he gets a hat from all the different places.
1: Oh, that's kind of like an older person thing. Like, do you think we're going to like with magnets or like spoons or like, do you think we're going to become like that or we are like that?
0: I don't know. I guess like in a sense for a little while there, I was getting an animal statue from different places.
1: Yeah, I get mugs. I have mugs from so many different places. I love mugs. I know you do. I will never have enough mugs. (laughs) I have like a a cabinet full of them. I only use like probably a few at a time, but then I sometimes feel bad and I go, oh, the ones in the back aren't really getting used. So then I'll like switch them out so that everyone feels um, loved the same amount.
0: Wait, Melissa, you collect spoons? What kind of spoons? Because your grandma did? Yeah, I did because my grandmother did. The like um, souvenir spoons that have, Mm -hmm. like when you go into a gift shop at a airport or something, And they'll have something from the state or city that you're at on it. Do you use Mm -hmm. the spoons or they are commemorative? No, they're decorative. They're like little tiny spoons. Oh, how cute. That's great because it doesn't take up too much space, I feel like. Well, the way my my grandmother did it and then when other people would go on trips, they would also bring her. So she had like a wall of them. I love that. I started doing it this year because I was like, I want to do this because my grandmother did it. I love that. That's so cute.
1: I always think, yeah, my mom does salt and pepper shakers, but I don't I don't have like a place to put those because I don't really have like a living room or like, you know, I don't have really I have a dining room that I'm like putting stuff in. Yeah. So it's just mugs, baby. (laughs) If anyone ever meets me and they want to get me a present, I would love a mug from your town.
0: Oh, that's so nice. I would love cash.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, this is just between us, a variety show filled with heartfelt advice,
0: ridiculous games. And
1: brutal honesty. <laughs> Cash is king, baby. And this episode's about travel too, because we have a, a very exciting interview with our highly esteemed guest coming up, Adrian Bain, which is all about travel and and the Nellie Bly Elizabeth Bisland story.
0: Yeah, wow, that really did seamlessly tie in.
1: I know, it seamlessly went together. <laughs>
0: And later, we're going to be talking about body hair and all the feelings and uh, anxieties around it.
1: Yeah, I have some questions about what you still do. Ooh, I'll answer. Okay.
0: Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. What if What if I just, if I stonewall you throughout all of topics? Yeah,
1: you chose this topic and then you go, I refuse to speak on it.
0: <laughs> Stick around
1: after the break. We have an exciting interview with our highly esteemed guest, Adrian Bain.
0: Between us, it's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, most controversial segment known to all podcasting: tough
1: questions. This week on the show, we have Adrian Bain, the host and producer of *Strangers Abroad*, a narrative travel podcast based on her own travels and deep conversations she had with strangers in faraway places. Her newest project is the narrative nonfiction travel podcast *A Race Around the World*, based on the true adventures of Nellie Bly and Elizabeth Bisland. Out now! I'm so excited.
0: Hello, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited as well, so. (laughs) (laughs) This is kind of perfect timing because I just traveled internationally for like the first time in 10 years. I go to Mexico like every year, but I feel like that's much easier.
2: That's Um, my like, I psychologically can't handle When New York winter anymore. I'm from upstate New York. Like, I know what snow is. I don't have to do it all the time. Right. So, I fly down to Mexico City for the month of usually February.
0: Um, So, I got you. I got you. But I had so much fear sort of around international Mm -hmm. travel and like the logistics of it and all my anticipatory anxiety. And so, I'm just like wondering, you know, like, I feel like we romanticize travel so much, but Do you have you encountered like how difficult it is? (laughs) Oh, I absolutely
2: that's like the whole my whole mo is like, guys, travel isn't glamorous. I have this whole joke where, like, you know, anytime you see this travel influencer in like a beautiful sundress in front of the Taj Mahal, like, she has explosive diarrhea. Like, you don't go through (laughs) India, India goes through you. Like, it is not glamorous. And like, I also for sure get like, some pretty severe travel anxiety when it comes to just getting to my point of departure. So, fortunately, CBD has like really come in strong for me as of recent. So, now I just like take one of those before I like am off. Um, Cause I just have this whole fear that I'm gonna miss my flight. I don't have enough money to get another flight and then I will have wasted money. So, I just like have to really reprogram that little story. CBD definitely like quiets that one down. But I for sure like, am I'm am a like more anxious person. And even it like does pique my anxiety because it is like, where am I? I can't read what is on these shampoo bottles. Like there is definitely this natural like confusion that you can fall into. But like the other coin to that is like, I have found in my lived experience that everyone around the world is like pretty helpful. Like even mm-hmm. if like the human experience is like, you look like a bumbling lost Taurus. Like, let me help you figure stuff out. Especially as like a solo lady, people are much more like curious because they want to make sure that like you have your wits about you. So I've definitely like in the moments where I'm most panicked, I've also found like so much help. But uh yeah, it's still definitely like, a struggle, like a challenge to overcome. But then like once I'm in the flow of it and I'm in movement, I'm kind of like, oh, wait, this is my favorite feeling. And I love all of this.
1: Yeah. I was <laughs> going to say, what's the benefit, you know?
2: <laughs> the benefit. Um, I mean, like, honestly, the for me, the benefit is flexing this like full independence, like at least traveling alone I can do what I want when I want to. It's my money. Like I've earned that money to go and do, like if I want to sleep in or I want to go to a museum or I want to go to some like amazing old relic, I can do it. I don't have to compromise with anybody. And like, there are definitely benefits to traveling with people. But for me, I've always been like, I think of like, my mom used to say like the moment I could move, I was just like on the go and I'd be like bumped and bruised as like a baby because I'd be just be knocking into things. But like, (laughs) I just wanted to be in motion and for like, there's also this idea of like, I don't have to take care of anybody else's emotional baggage. Like I'm just dealing with my own, which is heavy enough. So, but that sense of like independence and like seeing where the wind will take you has obviously resulted in some like wonderful stories that I've now like kind of accumulated of who you meet. Because when you're also traveling alone, like you're so much more approachable. Like when you travel with somebody else, you're usually just like trying to maintain that relationship. And people from the outside are less likely to be like, yo, what are you doing? Do you want to hang out? So when you travel alone, like you definitely are like you just go where the wind takes you. And that level of like kind of jumping, it's its like a moment of free fall and like the universe catches you. Like that's a really like, that's a very special feeling that I love and have experienced. I don't want to be a Pollyanna. Like I haven't, ha- like I've gotten my passport stolen. Like it's not all like, oh my God, the universe, you know, but it's a mix between the two. But that feeling of like, I feel like I can really trust complete strangers. That's always what is the driving force for me. You shouldn't yeah.
0: trust complete strangers.
2: <laughs> <laughs> don't do it. Don't do it. You don't know what they're up to.
0: You know what they're up to? I'm just so curious about like traveling alone as a woman. Like Yeah. Do you feel in danger ever? Like, do you just like, that's like worth the risk for
2: you? Right. I mean, I've definitely done like more riskier travel than I ever admitted to my parents, like in real time. It's one of those, like, I'll tell you in like five years. Cause I, my first big travel I did alone, I was 22 and I did like a big backpack through Europe and bits of Asia and Africa. And in certain countries where it was more acceptable, I hitchhiked. And I tried to couch surf as much as I could. And honestly, I mostly couch surfed with like single guys in their apartment without roommates. And like out of the 20 or so, only one was like, is this more? And two was a consensual, yes, this is more. Um, So for the most, like statistically, most people, I have found that the world is much more protective than predatory. So there's I mean, you were
1: talking about the balance and it's true. I haven't traveled in a very long time, but uh, years ago I was in a manic episode and I went to Paris and I met like a another traveler, an Australian guy, um, and we went around Belgium together and that was super nice. And then I also got my wallet stolen.
2: <laughs> so like, you know, t- uh, that's the, them's the breaks. Them's the breaks. Totally, totally. I've like lost money. I've gotten my passport stolen. Like, and there's also like, not for nothing, there are these beautiful moments where you're like, oh my God, I have found this person and we're just gonna, we're moving in the same direction and we want to do these same things together. But that's not to deny like the deep bouts of like loneliness that definitely creep up too, you know? And like, I personally find that it is a level of, For me, it's much more existential because I'm out of my comfort zone. I am also like faced with like, oh, my God, the world is so big and I am so insignificant. Mm -hmm. So I definitely feel like there is that balance there emotionally as well. And it's. I don't know. I honestly feel like I have become, like I'm very comfortable now being alone and knowing how to navigate those waves of loneliness that like we all feel every single day. But it's so much more heightened when you travel because you're like, I actually know no one on this continent. You know, like (laughs) the closest person that I know is like in Romania, you know, or wherever. So it's definitely taught me how to like ride those waves when I feel it at home too, where it's like, do I have any friends at all? You know? But it's also like you have to learn how to be cool with being with yourself, you know? And I feel like that has also been a really great benefit to it. It's hard, like it's very painful, but that has been like a benefit of like, I know how to do this. It's not my first, I know how to like ride
0: those waves more. We're gonna take a quick break, but stick around. Hi everyone, Allison here. new books for you to choose from all the books are good so you can't go wrong every aspect of the book of the month experience is designed to be fun and special for readers they have a highly anticipated release at the beginning of each month books are delivered in this really adorable bright blue box and there's a fun app to help you pick your book and track your reading process They also offer great values on new release hardcover fiction. It's much cheaper than other options. Shipping is always free. And with a loyalty program, you get rewards and even lower prices the longer you stay as a member. My first book from Book of the Month was The Husbands by Holly Gramazio. I am tearing through this book. It is so fun. It's basically about this woman who one day comes home and there's a husband in her apartment. And she's like, where did you come from? And then she figures out that every time her new husband goes into the attic, a new husband comes out and she's, she's like shuffling through all these different husbands from the attic, trying to figure out which one is the best. It is right at my alley and I love it so much. So if you want to take part in book of the month and have a brand new book shipped right to your door every single month, Go to bookofthemonth.com and get your first book for $5 with code Petals. That's $5 off with code PEDALS. I cannot recommend this enough. Turtles All the Way Down is the acclaimed number one bestseller by John Green, author of The Fault in Our Stars and Paper Towns. Turtles All the Way Down is now streaming on Max. NPR named the novel a, quote, Sometimes heartbreaking, always illuminating glimpse into how it feels to live with mental illness. Aza Holmes never intended to pursue the disappearance of fugitive billionaire Russell Pickett, but there's a $100,000 reward at stake and her best and most fearless friend, Daisy, is eager to investigate. So together, they navigate the short distance and broad divides that separate them from Pickett's son, Davis. Aza is trying. She's trying to be a good daughter, a good friend, a good student, and maybe even a good detective, while also living with the ever-tightening spiral of her own thoughts. Turtles All the Way Down is a brilliant novel about love, resilience, and the power of lifelong friendship. As someone with OCD, it is so wonderful to see OCD represented in an incredible book. I think it is so important that we talk about mental illness, both in our own lives and through narrative. Buy your copy of Turtles All the Way Down in stores today and catch the movie streaming on Max. And we're back.
1: So the new podcast is also about ladies traveling. Yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to talk about this because I went to journalism school. So Nellie Bly is like a hero. Totally. So I'm just curious. Can you, because I like, I don't even know where to begin. Can you explain who Nellie Bly is? She's so cool.
2: She's so cool. I can't stand it. Like, yeah. okay. Nellie Bly was born in Appalachia in like right around the Civil War. Like right, I think at the very tail end of the Civil War. And Her family was like a little affluent and then her dad died and literally like forgot to write his wife into his will. So because like back then, women were just like basically property of their husbands. Like if shit wasn't written down, like you got nothing. Mm. So for most of Nellie's life, she grew up really poor, like taken out of school, kind of like went back and forth between school. But one day, but she's like a natural storyteller. There's like lines of people being like, she's loud and we don't appreciate it <laughs> And from like, you know, in like Victorian relatable speak. and she's literally like, I don't give a shit. Like I do not care. So one day she's like in her early twenties, she's reading the newspaper and she reads this article about like what to do with unwed women. Like there was this <laughs> dad who had five daughters who were unwed under the age of God forbid, 26 years old, which of back course. then was like, Oh God, she's past her prime. Like she's basically like, what is the word? She's a like a true a spinster. Thank you. Perfect. So Nellie Bly was like, and he and this this man who wrote this article was like, uh, women belong in the home. Case in point. There's that's just it. And Nellie Bly was like, fuck you. And she writes this like scathing article back at him. And she's like, I work. My mom works. My dad left us nothing. Like, how dare you? And the editors of the Pittsburgh Dispatch, that's the newspaper she was reading, were super impressed. And they're like, the article you wrote, we're not going to, that letter, we're not going to publish it, but we would love an official opinion piece on this. And so she writes this amazing retort about like women should be equal in society cuz it'll be better for everybody. Hell yeah. And fortunately the the editor did seem to be more progressive leaning. I don't think there were a lot of other female journalists working at the Pittsburgh Dispatch. I think there was like a handful. And he was like, "You don't have any sense of grammar, but like that's fine. You're hired, and we'll <laughs> do the we'll do the checking for you." And um so she becomes this investigative journalist in Pittsburgh and she goes undercover in like factories and she's, she advocates for women. She advocates for minorities and people in like of the lowest classes. And she really elevates them in her writings. So she convinces her editor to go to Mexico City because there is this new train that would take her from Pittsburgh to Mexico City. And she somehow strong arms him into going and she brings her mom with her. Oh and my so she goes. I know. And I like just love how she's like, she just, anytime someone said no to her, she found a way for them to say yes. So she goes down to Mexico City and she has this line where she's like, the free American girl can accommodate herself to any circumstance, circumstances without the aid of a man. And she just is like, thriving, living her best life. She's there for five months. And when she comes back, she's like, I have four goals in life. One is to be be a New York reporter. The second is to reform the world. The third is to fall in love. The fourth is to marry a millionaire. And I love that those last two are mutually independent of each other. (laughs) And so then she moves to New York and she's like, ah, I have this beautiful portfolio of working back in Pittsburgh. I've done all these cool things. I'll get a job in no time. And it takes her months to get a job because everyone is like, women can't do journalism. Like literally one of the excuses was like, we can't wake up women at two in the morning to like a go climb a flight of stairs if there's like a fire. You know, like just really wild, like weird excuses that in 2023 years, we'd be like, what? Okay. So for months, she just like doesn't get any work. And so she's still kind of like making a little bit of money off of the work that she had in Pittsburgh. One day, like six, like five or six months into her being in New York, she gets robbed. All of her money, like her whole life savings is stolen from her because Ah. back then Women were not allowed to open bank accounts, and women were not allowed to open bank accounts until the 1970s, which is unfathomable. Like you had to have a male helper somehow. Like you had to have Mm -hmm. a man literally help you open. It's just so laden. So she literally doesn't cry. She's like, fuck this. She heads straight down to the newspaper district and does not leave that day until she gets a job. And she walks into the New York world, which was owned by Joseph Pulitzer. And Joseph Pulitzer was a Hungarian immigrant. And he like came to America, super poor, super broke, and basically like, is kind of the story of the American dream where he like works himself up to being one of the most influential newspapermen in the world. There's this one little anecdote I love about him where he apparently slept on a bench in some somewhere around like Wall Street in Manhattan, um, because he applied for a job at a very fancy French hotel in that area, and they were like, "You're Hungarian. Your language, no, mm, no, thank you." Even though he's like a very, like he speaks four languages or something. So he sleeps on a bench that night, and then years later, when he becomes a millionaire, he buys that hotel. So he's also like fucking scrappy, <laughs> and he is pretty neurotic when it comes to what he publishes, but he very much wants to make sure that the stuff he is, he's very like anti-American bourgeois, like old money people. He's kind of like, fuck them. Like they didn't help me out. I'm not going to help them out. So he wanted pieces that were like, take down all the corporate corruption, robber baron nonsense that is proliferating in America and New York at the time. So Nellie Bly walks into his newspaper and she gives this whole spiel and she's like, please just give me a job. I will literally do anything. And so the editors that she talks to are like, hmm, do you want to go into an insane asylum? And she's like, <sighs> "Uh, not where I thought you're going, but yes. And she does it. And that's like probably Gabe where you really heard about her. is She has this huge, like that's the thing she's most well known for is she breaks herself in and out of a madhouse. Um, she stays in a madhouse for 10 days. She, like, makes herself pretend to be crazy. And then when she's in the madhouse, she acts like a totally normal person, but the doctors still treat her as if she's kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. And I just envision, like, every nurse is, like, Nurse Ratchet from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. Yes. I like, every Like, they take these ice-cold baths. Like, they just treat... And some of these women who are in there are actually just, like, immigrants who can't speak English. So like they're like trapped. So they send a lawyer for her to come out 10 days later, the editors of the New York world, and she becomes a huge success. And now she's like doing all of this undercover investigative journalism and other women pretend to be her. Like she becomes this little like New York famous. And in the whole hullabaloo of like, her just pitching endless stories, she comes up with this idea to go around the world in under 80 days. So
0: that is that is who Nellie Bly is. Why do you think like that appealed to her? Because to me, like the undercover investigative journalism exposing bad habits and bad people is like more interesting to me than traveling the world in 80 days. Totally.
2: She comes up with the idea because she has to pitch something to her editors. It's like Sunday night, she has to pitch something to her editors on Monday morning, and she's like, oh, I can't think of anything. She can't fall asleep. And that's when she's like, oh, I wish I was on the other side of the planet. (laughs) And that's when she was like, wait, what if I do that whole Jules Verne around the world in 80 days thing? And her editors, because basically she was like, how do I take like a really long vacation? (laughs) (laughs) So that's her MO, honestly. Um, and then her editors were like, ugh, I don't know. People have pitched it. hasn't really gone anywhere. And honestly, like, it'd be way safer if like a dude went. So a year goes by and Joseph Pulitzer gets wind that another newspaper might send a man to go around the world. And Joseph Pulitzer's like, well, a woman would sell more money. And then they give her 56 hours to get ready and head to London
1: crazy. I love the idea of being like, how can we one up this? Let's send a lady. Oh,
2: totally. <laughs> exactly.
1: Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, one
2: of the In one of the books I read, I read um, Matthew Goodman's. He kind of like wrote this condensed version of both women. And in his explanation of it is like the newspaper world, I'm sure this like won't relate, whatever. Like the newspaper world was just like, how do we get how do we keep people hooked? Like how mm-hmm. do we make sure that like every single time we sell newspapers, they are like sold out at the end of the day, every single day. And apparently people were like getting jaded from the man's perspective. And so they literally just used women to be like, well, this is more interesting. And it's kind of like, I guess that's like in the name of progress. That's kind of cool. I don't know. It's a really like sticky, weird moment for them. But part of me is like, she got to go.
1: So (laughs) who is this other woman?
2: Oh my God, who is this other woman? So Elizabeth Bisland. So Nellie Bly casts off towards London. And the morning that she leaves, a few newspapers print that this woman is going to go around the world. And the editor for Cosmopolitan, like Cosmo magazine that we read today, He is also looking for a reason to sell more papers. And he had just purchased Cosmo. It wasn't doing great. It was also like a monthly magazine. So it didn't like sell as much as like a daily newspaper. But he, it's literally like a binders filled with women moment where he's like, oh, I have a woman I could send around the world. Like, let me just pluck one. So he plucks his literary editor, Elizabeth Bisland, who is a poet at heart. She's from the South. She also like grew up poor, elbowed her way into becoming a writer in New Orleans and then was like, you know what? My ambitions are a little too big for the South. And she moves to New York. She's a little bit older than Nellie. Um, just by like three or four years. They're both like, I think Liz is 27 or 28 and Nellie is like 24, 25. She's just like this beautiful socialite and people sit, like people really do remark on like how beautiful she is. Like there's mm. this one quote where like one of her guy friends is like, she, I feel like when I'm in her presence, I'm with a dangerous leopard and I appreciate her for not biting me. Like I envision that she's intelligent and beautiful. And that she kind of likes intimidating men that way because she mm. doesn't give a shit. Like she's like, I want to do my work. I live with my sister. My life is good. I don't want anything else. And so, after years of her like working freelance stuff, she does finally get a more consistent job at Cosmo. And she's like, you know what? I've reached the top. I'm good. I don't want to go anywhere. And on the same day, on the day that Nellie leaves, her editor for Cosmo, plucks her out of bed and is like, uh, quick question. How long do you think it would take for you to get ready to go around the world today? Like, is six o'clock good? It's like 1130 (laughs) in the morning. And she's literally like, in God's name, what are you talking about? Like, I am planning a tea party tomorrow. Like, I kind of don't have time to entertain your, like, your frantic uh, stunt piece. And he literally is like, you're fired if you don't go. And she's like, God damn it. Um, Because it was really hard to be a female, a paid female writer who like was financially independent back then. So she's like, son of a damn it. And she has six hours to get ready. And I feel like if, and her job has nothing to do with travel. (laughs) like She's (laughs) never left the country before. And so she... She does do it. And like, what I find is like such a beautiful poetry about this story is that Nellie goes east and Elizabeth goes west. But the fastest way around the world it are the same locations. So they both like move farther away from each other and then they cross over. And then we as listeners get to go to the same places but have two very different perspectives because like Nellie is a hard hitting journalist. Like all of her writing is in action and stakes and like characters and Liz will spend like a page talking about how beautiful the frost is on her window as she rides a train through Nebraska. Like she, they're (laughs) just so different. They're so different. And honestly, like one of the reasons the show, this story like really called to me is because of all the things that we were talking about. Like the emotional journeys are very similar to like the loneliness, the homesickness, the anxiety, the like Why isn't my transfer happening? My where are my bags right now? Like, why aren't they here? Unwarranted marriage proposal that like men just like throw at you because you're like alone. They're like, oh, do you have a boyfriend? And it's like, so they I what was astounding to me is that like, it's been 134 years and their emotional journey is so similar to what I have experienced. And I was like, I actually talked about this with my fiance, Sam, last night on how I actually didn't really realize this, but like it is kind of my story masked because like Mm. their writings don't fully go into their feelings, but I know what that feels like. So I do take these like creative liberties to be like, I think this is what Nelly is feeling when she finds out that her transfer from uh, Salon to modern day Sri Lanka to Malaysia is delayed. Like I think she'd be, pretty pissed because their writings are (laughs) like very um it's hard to like kind of track the day or like what happens on what specific day it's all just kind of like it's like reading someone's journal a little bit that's been like lightly polished so that took a lot of like excavating but yeah that's like one of the reasons why it just so called to me was that like emotional component
0: how are they releasing the writing? I mean, what was it something that was just released at the end when they got back?
2: Totally. So um, the only way that people could really communicate back then was through telegrams. And they, you know, they're only the size of a tweet. You know, they're really quick. And so there are documents of Nellie's telegrams because hers are published in the world's newspaper like one or two days after she sends it. But it's nothing snazzy. Like, it's like, I'm in Italy. My <laughs> body is in one piece. I'm going to Egypt. Like, end of, you know, end of tweet, telegram, whatever you want to call it. And mm-hmm. so, um, and Liz, I haven't, I wasn't able to find any of her telegrams, but I know that they were sent just based off of like other writings. But it's pretty few and far between and they can't do it on Steamship. So it's only when they're like physically on land somewhere. But so then, but they both are writers. So like they both wrote everything down and then they turned them into two, like they're, book, they're like little novellas of their experiences. And that's what I read.
1: Were they in competition with each other? Like, did they feel pressure with each other?
2: Yo, this is what's wild. Is that Nellie, who is like taking this whole thing so seriously, she's like, I want to make sure that I can get back in under 80 days. There's moments where she's like, I would rather die than come back to New York in 81 days. And I'm like, I live (laughs) for the drama. Like, I get that. So Nellie is like, there are times where she's like, I don't give a shit that I'm on this beautiful island. Like, I just want to move. Like, I just need to make it back under my cutoff date. So like, is it really a vacation? No. So she's like, ah... And she doesn't even find out that there's another woman in the race until she's in Hong Kong. And she's like, why would my editors do this to me? But there was a lot of like, there was a lot of feelings back in New York about Cosmo sending their own woman because Joseph Pulitzer was like, fuck you, Cosmo. This is my idea. Like, how dare you? And he didn't like that. He was like, just like riding on Nelly's coattails. So some of the, So like there is this feeling of like who's really in the race because like Liz didn't even know she was going to be racing until like six hours early, you know? Um, So some of America takes both women into account. Others just care about Liz. Others just care about Nellie. So the competition is much more like back in the States um, than it is for between either woman. Liz doesn't give a fuck. She's like, yo, <laughs> I got paid to go around the world. And I'm seeing all these beautiful hotels. And I'm like, in day by day becoming the most interesting woman in the world. And like, JB, like her editor didn't really care if she won. He's like, I just need to sell more papers. Like, I don't care if you make it back in time. Um, He just wanted to like add an extra layer. So Liz was like, whatever. But the world, I don't want to give too much away, but like the world is in on it. And they do like influence the women's path based on who they want to win. And it's crazy. So wow. they don't run into each other at all. No. And this is what kind of like breaks my heart is like, I don't. So they actually lived super close to each other in Manhattan. Um, They both lived like around in the 30s. They lived like three blocks and three avenues over to each other. So when Nelly finds out that there's this, like, other woman, because she thinks she's racing time, she doesn't think that there's, like, a real woman in this. She's kind of like, who could it be? There's so few of us in this field. Like, do I know this person? I sadly have no idea if they ever met each other. They do not run into each other on the race. I don't know if they ever met each other afterwards. And, like, honestly, it really breaks my heart if they didn't because... I kind of find that travel stories are like one of the harder stories to tell. I think that drug experiences, dreams and travel stories are really hard to tell because they're so personal mm-hmm. and it's so about like your feelings and it's like describing an inside joke to somebody and when do you find other people who know that same emotional journey that you've gone through You can talk about like, I went to Italy, I went to Paris. This is how I felt. And you don't sound like super pretentious, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And it breaks my heart because like both of them, like they both loved Japan. I feel like they would have such interesting conversations about all the places they went to. But this is the other thing. I think from what, if they never met each other, what does make up for it? God, I'm realizing how deep the research went. They are both buried in the same graveyard in the Bronx. Whoa. And I love that they are kind of eternally like circling each other. So that to me kind of like makes up for it. I don't know, but I just, I'm hoping, you know, this will be my like, you know, if you have more information about this story, please, uh, <laughs> if they did, if they did ever meet each other, because I, I couldn't find in any of my research that they did.
0: Wow. If you want to hear the rest of this episode, and let me tell you, you do, head over to patreon.com slash just between us, and for three dollars a month, you can get access to all of our podcast episodes in full ad-free.
1: You can also get merch for this podcast at justbetweenuspod.com or Allisonraskinexposed.com.
0: Okay, that's it. Tatala T2. Tatela T2.